in the church. Now he walked very fast, big tall man, walked very fast in his robes down the central aisle of the church and I was almost trotting to keep up with him, right behind him. And halfway down the aisle, I hadn't expected it, he must have spotted the altar because he suddenly dropped down on one knee. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Don't walk really fast right behind people, especially if they're priests. It was a bit of a disaster. So I'm not an expert on church buildings. I'm not an expert on church traditions. Now that's okay, because when we come to the New Testament, the church is not a building, it's the people of God. It's not a physical building, but a body of believers. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But first of all, I want to say we should not diminish the value of a meeting place, a building we can call church. A church building serves as a, a focal point in the community for the witness we have. It's a place where needs can be met and people can be met. It's a place where we gather to receive ministry, to give worship. And it's interesting that the New Testament church met in buildings. First in the temple, uh, until of course persecution made that impossible. Then in the buildings of people's homes. So the New Testament church met in buildings. And so we thank God this morning for our church building. And all that's done within it, and all that's done from it. And it's important what our pastors are leading us to do this morning. To rededicate in this new year our building we meet in to the Lord. We want everything that's done in this place to have the blessing of God. And also to have the right spiritual atmosphere. I'm, I'm a great believer in spiritual atmospheres. That's why I think praying around our building is, is a vital thing to do. Now having said that, I want to talk not about the church building, about the body of believers, the temple of God. That's my, I've only got one point and I'm going to develop it in different ways. The church is God's dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 3.16 don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. The context and the language is plural. You together, he says, are that temple. There's a great verse in Ephesians 2.21 where um, Paul is talking about the uh, Jews and Gentiles coming together in Christ. And he goes on to say, in him the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And then we have the oft-quoted uh, text in Matthew 18.20 where Jesus said, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. The church is not a club of which we're members, of which we choose to participate or be part of. The church is not a club. The church is God's temple, his dwelling place. Of course, God is what the theologians call omnipresent. He's everywhere. But as I want to share with you uh, for a moment, there are times when God's presence dwells specifically and in a special way in a place. The first time this happened was in the tabernacle. This was the building, the tent building that uh, Moses erected at God's command as the people wandered through the desert. And we call it a tabernacle, it's another word for tent, but the original Hebrew word uh, Mishkan means literally dwelling place or residence. And in part of that tabernacle, in the most holy place, God dwelt. And it was, if you like, God's dwelling or God's house from, we think, about 1437 BC to 957 BC. The next dwelling place was Solomon's temple. That was built in, we know a more accurate date for that, 957 BC. The Ark of the Covenant that had dwelt in the tabernacle was moved into this more permanent, solid building. The temple was God's dwelling place until the Babylonians ransacked uh, Jerusalem in 586 BC, and, and it was destroyed along with the city. The Jews returned from their captivity to Jerusalem in 516 BC and another temple was built on the same place as Solomon's temple, sometimes called Zerubbabel's temple. It was a rather drab affair compared to Solomon's temple, but nevertheless it was God's dwelling place for uh, right up until the time of Jesus Christ. Although 45 years before Jesus was born, Herod the Great began to renovate and improve and enlarge the temple. And in fact, the Jews of Herod's day took 50 years to renovate and improve the temple. And they did a magnificent job. In fact, Herod built a large courtyard so big it could withhold, uh, hold thousands of people. And that's the courtyard in which Jesus turned over the money tables, uh, changes tables and drove them out of the temple, declaring my, uh, that the, the God says my house shall be called a house of prayer. Then we come to the new covenant. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, and I love the way the Bible says he died once for all. The barrier between a holy God and sinful people was removed. 
When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, opening the way to God. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is talking about in chapter 10, where he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, listen, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and in full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, God's temple is his people. I like the way one writer put it. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. And in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. Church, we are today God's dwelling place. There's a great verse in 1 Peter 2.4 I want to read to you. And I want to uh, uh, open up on the theme of it a little bit. It says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, Peter adds that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In God's holy temple, the church, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices, he says, of praise and worship to God. I love the way uh, John Piper, um, I often quote from him, forgive me for that, uh, but I, I like his writings. Um, he said, we all are the priests of this new spiritual house. And our privilege now as priests is to draw near to God with spiritual sacrifices. The priests brought the sacrifices into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but now that tabernacle is replaced by the Christian church. The atoning altar is replaced by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And the priests are replaced by those who believe in Christ. This is the New Testament teaching about the priesthood of all believers. Just as in the Old Testament, the priests offered sacrifices, the New Testament tells us that we, the priesthood of all believers, offer spiritual sacrifices in God's dwelling place. Let me just, I've only got time this morning to pick out two of them, and then I'll mention a couple of others in conclusion without developing them. The first one is a spiritual sacrifice, is praise and worship. Hebrews 13, 15. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Worship is something that flows from our hearts to God himself. Worship is more than just singing songs or going through the motions. 
Worship is more than what some churches would uh, practice as a, a set of rituals or reciting of uh, creeds. True worship changes us. Richard J. Foster wrote, If worship does not change us, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of Eternity is to change. Worship brings in holy expectancy. It ends in holy obedience. Isn't it sad that so often, I've watched this as a pastor, people could come into church and be so distracted by so many things that they miss the truth that God is here. I used to do what our pastor does. At the end of every service, I used to go to the, straight to the door so that I shook hands with everyone as they left. I remember one Sunday, a lady shaking my hand with a frown on her face. And she said to me, I'll never forget it. She said, Pastor, the worship this morning just missed the mark. They sang all the old songs, no new ones. She said, and if you don't mind me saying so, and I did, she said, your sermon was too long. I switched off halfway through. And she said, the kids at the back were making so much noise, I didn't get anything out of the service this morning. And for a few minutes, I felt a little bit discouraged, to be honest. Easy to discourage your pastor, you know. But five minutes later, though, this, this is true, it really happened, a lady called Violet shook my hand with a big smile. She said, Pastor, she said, the worship this morning was wonderful. She said, God was here. She said, your sermon spoke right into my heart. She said, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. And I was lifted up. And I thought, how sad. God was here. One person entered into it, and her heart was changed and touched. Another person was so distracted by negative things, missed it all together. How easy it is to do that. We can get paranoid about little things. How long the service lasts. How long the sermon is. What kinds of songs we sing. Were they new? Were they old? Who's here? Who's missing? Ad infinitum. We're here to worship God. To bring our hymn, our sacrifices of praise and worship. A sacrifice is something you give that costs you something. You give it out of love. You give it because someone is special to you. It's a sacrifice. Jean and I were talking to someone recently about how tight money was when the kids were little. You don't go into the ministry to get rich. And we were in a church that was, didn't have a lot of money and, and we were getting paid a very small amount and money was really tight. And uh, Jeannie at that time, although she had other clothes, of course, she only had one dress for best. And I had just one suit to my name and we had just one pair of shoes each because we had children to feed and clothe. And don't get your violins out just yet because there's more. One Christmas, uh, we were telling these people that uh, 
we couldn't afford to buy each other a present because we'd spent every penny we had on the children. I expect their other parents have been in that situation too. Do you know, we didn't mind that one bit. Our children were special to us. We loved them and still do. And we didn't even consider ourselves. We gladly did it because they were important to us. That sacrifice, how much more should we bring our sacrifices to God? How important is he to you? He is, has done so much for us. How can we not bring him our sacrifices? Please note that text. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. He talks about the fruit of lips. In his book, The Hallelujah Factor, Jack Taylor wrote, Praise is always active, assertive, demonstrative, and open. It's not passive, presumptuous, undemonstrative, or secretive. Whenever it's mentioned in the Bible, movement, actions, sounds, and songs are seen and heard. Now, I understand that some people are more demonstrative than others. Some people are freer in that way than others. Some of us are a little bit more reserved and shy, perhaps, and so on. But we all have lips, and we can all bring the fruit of our lips to him. And even if you haven't got a, a voice to sing with, you can do what the psalmist said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We're here to worship him. In Luke 19, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the disciples were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees were offended by that. Said to Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. You can read of it in Luke 19.40. Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were uh, beaten and thrown into prison. And at midnight, they were praying, it says, and singing praises to God. And all the prisoners were listening. At midnight, there was an earthquake. All their sh shackles were broken off them. But they all stayed in place. That night, a jailer. And his family came to Christ. I don't suppose that after being beaten and thrown into jail, they felt like singing and praying and worshipping. But they brought a sacrifice of praise because God was worthy of it. So I've heard people say, well, I don't feel like it this morning, so I'm just going to sit and be quiet. I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to praise the Lord. What's feelings got to do with it? He's worthy of our praise. He died on a cross for us. We bring a living sacrifice of praise to him. The second thing I want to just talk about is what our pastor read to us. Our bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship and your proper worship. In 1 Corinthians 6, 
6.19, I read from 3. Um, in 6.19, it says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Now, the context in chapter 6, although it's plural because he's speaking to the whole church as I'm speaking to you, but the context, what he's saying is he's speaking to individuals. You can tell that because the context of the chapter is about the immorality that was there in Corinth. And uh, he talks about how wrong it is for an individual to join their bodies to a prostitute. Now, the whole church can't do that. Clearly, he's talking to individuals when he says that. And he says, as well as corporately, individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. But he's not just thinking in that uh, those verses of our bodies, because he goes on to say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We used to sing a song, all that I am, I lay before you. All I possess, Lord, I confess, is nothing without you. Saviour and King, I now enthrone you. Take my life, my living sacrifice to you. Piper again, last time I'm quoting him this morning. Let every act of your body in living be an act of worship. That is, let every act of your living body be a demonstration that God is your treasure. Let every act of your living body show that Christ is more precious to you than anything else. I love the way J.B. Phillips paraphrases Romans 12, 1 to 2. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of maturity. Now the problem some Christians have is one of commitment. You've seen it, I've seen it. Perhaps we've been there sometimes too. Some people come to church when it suits them, to participate when they feel like it or occasionally. Their involvement, sadly, in church often mirrors their walk with the Lord. Perhaps you've heard the old story of the conversation that took place in a farmyard between a hen and a pig. Now, it could be a made-up story, this. Um, the hen and pig were talking about human um, lack of, of, of food for human people, how that people are hungry in the world around. And the hen said to the pig, I've got an idea. I've got a proposal. She said, I propose that every morning we give those around our farmyard a breakfast of egg and ham. 
The pig looked at the hen and said, that's okay for you. For you it just means involvement. For me, it's total commitment. That's an old story, I know. But some people like the hen. For them, it's just an involvement. Jesus calls us to total commitment. All that I am, I lay before you. This passage of scripture is talking about a different kind of commitment to what some people have. It's giving all we have to Jesus. Let me conclude. There's a couple of other places in the New Testament that talk about bringing sacrifices to the Lord. I can't open them up. I'll just mention them. Doing good and sharing, ministering to one another. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The idea here in the Greek is of sharing what we have with those around us as they have need. One commentary says, we are prone to think constantly of our own interests, and there is a great danger of forgetting the duty we owe to those in need. And the other one, which I can't open up, is in Philippians 4.18. Paul received gifts of support from the Philippian church and says, I received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. Here the idea of a fragrant aroma is the sweet-smelling incense that's ascended to God with the sacrifice. It's interesting in Acts 10, when um, the angel appeared to Cornelius, he says, your prayers and gifts have come up for a memorial before God. We may think that when we give financially, we're giving to church or to a ministry. No, we're giving to God. And that's a sacrifice that we're called to make. So here we are. The beginning, first time we've gathered together in 2023. And we have an opportunity to begin in, afresh in so many ways. And I couldn't help thinking of Joshua when he called all the nation together. And he called them to a new act of commitment to God. And then he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May we as a church and as individuals at the beginning of this year say that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.